Let's, uh, let's turn our Bibles, the Gospel of Luke. If you need a, a Bible, you can raise your hand real high, and the guys will be happy to let you borrow one if you need. Of the four Gospels, Matthew and Luke provide some details around and about the birth of Christ that the Gospel of Mark and John do not. They kind of drop in on the life of Jesus in a different place. But we're going to consider Luke's gospel for our time this morning and our Christmas message. And I entitled our message, The Greatest Gift Exchange. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 20 in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Again, I'm blessed that you're here. And if you're watching online as well, thank you for joining us. And if you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm not going to read all 20 verses as you're standing. We'll read just to verse 7. We'll pause at seven, we'll pray, but we'll unpack the rest of the verses as we get to them, okay? We're told, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, and so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And Luke tells us why, because he was of the house and the lineage of King David. And it's not just him. He goes to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And it was, as we find out, she's in her third trimester, that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And so she brought forth her firstborn son, Jesus, of course, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The scene will change at verse 8, but we'll pause there, and uh, would you join me in a word of prayer this morning? Father, we we thank you for our time that we can gather to celebrate, to remember, to take a few minutes and just to be intentional about studying, reading the scriptures of the birth of Jesus. And Lord, I imagine like myself, there are many here, we've, we know these verses, we've read them, we've heard them, we've heard them taught, we've, we've watched the Peanuts uh, cartoon, Lord, we, we, we're familiar with this passage. God, I pray that you might grant us just a a refreshed heart and mind, Lord, that we would have, in a sense, new ears to hear. And Lord, the things that we know, we we just pray that they would be um, solidified and confirmed and reconfirmed. And, And Lord, just the things that you brought upon my heart, I pray, Lord, that I they would be honoring of you and encouraging for us together. We've come from different places. We've walked into this room with different um, things going on in our life, and yet, Lord, you know all of them, and you care for every single one of us. And so, God, I, I would pray that regardless of where we might be, that, Lord, we would draw closer to you, that we would hear from you and see you today as we unpack these verses. So we commit our time to you, and we ask and pray this together in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Amen. All right. Would you take a moment, say hello to someone, and then you may have a seat. Anybody work retail here? Anybody work retail? No? You're not afraid to admit it? Okay. Um, one of the things that I'm glad for in this season is uh, that I don't work retail anymore. Uh, the days, I think the days following Christmas can be just as crazy as the days prior to Christmas. And so uh, for those of you that work retail, we, we pray extra blessings. If you want, we'll anoint you. After service, you know, <laughs> lay hands, special blessing. Because one of the things that you encounter, uh, we all know, right, is just uh, gift exchanges. And, you know, I entitled our, our message this morning, The Greatest Gift Exchange. And when I think about gift exchange, my mind goes in two places. One is, you know, those that are standing in line, you received the gift, maybe you didn't really like it, it's the right size, it's not the right color, and so you're going to go to the store, you're going to exchange it, you're going to get something that you like, you're going to try to get money or store credit. Um, but I'm not necessarily talking about that gift exchange, although my mind goes there. The other gift exchange that maybe you've experienced is I'm talking about the time where you and a group of friends or maybe your family members or coworkers, you decide, you know what, we, we can't afford to give gifts for everybody, so let's just, let's just get a gift for one person. And you, you do this type of gift exchange. And usually, uh, if your experiences are like mine, it goes in one of two directions. Usually it's okay, let's set a price point. We're going to try to stay within, you know, 2,000 yen, 20 bucks, or we're going to do a white elephant one. Like, you know, so go find some random thing in your house, uh, you know, wrap that up, and you're going to uh, play a game, or you're going to draw a name, or however those things happen. And if you've done those like I've done those, uh, my experience are usually uh, one of two things. Uh, my experience is usually there are, the, there are people who typically... Uh, they get excited about that, and they, and they don't actually uh, follow the rules. They, they'll go get like a $50 item, right? Or they'll get a, a $50 item, and they have a coupon, or they found it on sale, or whatever, and they're really thrifty. They're, and, and so they come, and they're excited because they, even though it's $20, they got like a $50 thing. And then there's the other people who go the other direction, who they, they kind of go towards the lower end of the price range, and in their mind, they're like, oh, I'm going to be creative. You know, I'm going to be funny. And, and they show up with something that's, in their estimate, is worth 20, but yours is, it's not, right? <laughs> um, and, and usually what happens is if you end up getting that first gift, you're like, yes, you're all happy until someone steals it if you're playing that kind of game, right? But if you're the one who gets the other one, you're, you're have to feign a little like, oh, thanks a lot. I really wanted this, you know, and... And you're looking around, and the person's smiling really big. You realize, oh, okay, I, yeah, you know, <laughs> that person. I knew it. I knew it. I could read them already, right? Uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, one year. Let me, I have a quick story. So one year we did that here at the church, and our uh, assistant pastor, who's pastoring Calvary Iwakuni now, we were doing kind of a white elephant gift exchange. And uh, there was a time where... I was talking about, in a sermon, I was talking about, uh, it's kind of dumb, uh, Banny's and Miracle Whip, and how you can, you know, sometimes you can carve out people, like, by certain things, right? Like, 
pie or cake or, you know, and, and I said, there's people who like mayonnaise and people who like Miracle Whip. Anybody like Miracle Whip? Right. Does anybody hate Miracle Whip? Right. Okay, so I think eggnog's another one, right? Like, you know, and these, anyways. So uh, uh, I'm not ashamed to admit, I like Miracle Whip. And, uh, but our assistant pastor didn't. And so he would rail on me all the time about how it's disgusting, you know, and all these things. Well, one year, someone very generously bought me, it was like a Y2K supply of Miracle Whip. I don't know where they got it. It was a barrel of it. And it, and it wasn't just Miracle Whip, it was Miracle Whip Light. And, and so when I thought, I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have a Miracle Whip for years. But immediately I thought, I knew who I'm going to give this to. <laughs> and so we wrapped it up. And, uh, and we ended up having to play this game, and, uh, and God answered my prayer because Glenn picked the number, and so when he opened that gift, it was the, great, it was the greatest gift to me <laughs> to see his face, and I died laughing. I lost my breath. I think I passed out. It was hilarious. It was hilarious. That's the type of gift exchange I'm talking about, right? You bring a good gift Someone brings a not-so-good gift. You know, you end up maybe with something like Miracle Whip Light for uh, a year or some junk gift. Hopefully we can have good attitudes in those things. Hopefully I haven't triggered some bad memory that you might have of <laughs> a previous gift exchange. But I come to this scripture, and uh, of course, just the, the most, one of the most wonderful aspects about Christmas in itself is the fact that God gave us an amazing gift if not the most amazing gift we could ever hope to receive, right? The gift of salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone through faith alone and God's grace alone. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and that whomsoever would believe upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. Paul, in a sense, takes that same theme. He writes to the church in, in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, and he says, it's by grace that you and I have been saved through faith. And he says, and it's a gift of God. It's nothing that we have done. It's not in our merit, right? It's not of our own works. It is a gift that God gives us. And so Christmas reminds us of the greatest gift that we could ever receive. Now, along with that, Christmas can mean and, and have many other things like gift exchanges and Christmas trees and eggnog and candy canes and, you know, torturing your kids uh, for pictures on Santa's lap and all those kind of things. Uh, or even if you want to celebrate like the Japanese and go get a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? That's a good tradition, right? Eat it to the glory of God, you know? <laughs> And I suppose that almost every single Christmas message contains something to the point of we don't want to lose the point. Right? And all of the distractions and all of the flurry, in the midst of how we celebrate, let's not forget the why and the who we celebrate. And so I want to make that point too. Christmas is a time for us to remember, rejoice what God did for us by sending a Savior. Jesus, God in flesh, Emmanuel, born as a baby, born as a man, lived a perfect, sinless life because you and I could not, and then took your sin, my sin, the penalty of that when he died on a cross at Calvary, and three days later he rose again from the grave to demonstrate who he was, who he claimed to be. 
And when we place our faith in Christ, we then come into eternal life. We receive this gift. But God's grace upon grace is this. Not only does he give us the greatest gift ever, he invites us then to his gift exchange, where we then have this perpetual invitation that we can come to the Lord with any of our brokenness, any of our, if you will, junky stuff, our hurts, our sorrows, and we give it to the Lord, and in exchange, he takes it and he gives us something back in his glory and by his grace. It is the greatest gift exchange. And so this Sunday, I want to run through Luke 2, if you will, and, and take a slightly different lens, if I may, and I want to share five things with you. The Lord impressed upon my heart things that we can uh, give to the Lord, things that we can exchange, the greatest gift exchange. And so I draw your attention back to verses 1 through 7. We read it, but let me reread it again. It came to pass in those days, and Dr. Luke, he's a good doctor, but he's also a great historian. And so he gives us a, a time marker. He gives us a historical fact, an event of something that took place. Uh, Luke is the author of this. It came to pass in those days when Caesar Augustus was ruling, he sent forth this decree that all the world, the idea of all the Roman Empire, had to go take a census to be registered. And he tells us this takes place, again, another time stamp. This guy by the name of Quirinius is the governor of Syria. And then it focuses in on the fact that it affects this young couple. Everybody had to do it. But now our, our focus is drawn to Joseph and to Mary. And because Joseph, though he lives in Nazareth, he's up in the north in Galilee, but his family line, his uh, Koseki, right, his Honseki, it's, it's not in the north, it's in the south. It's in Bethlehem, actually where King David was from, and he's part of the line of King David, so that's where he has to go. And it didn't matter that his uh, wife was pregnant in the circumstances. What the king wanted, the king got, and so that's where they go. And then we find out that when they get there, uh, she's really close to having this baby. In fact, she has the baby when she goes. Now, you might know this already, but Rome is in power at this time. Israel as a nation is under this foreign sovereign power, this occupation. And so the emperor of Rome wants to basically know how big is his empire. He wants to count the heads. He wants to know who's who and what's what. And so he basically says, hey, I want everyone to go back home. You need to register. I want to get a, a, a census on, on you know, the size of my empire. Well, that government decree puts in motion a series of events that it impacts everybody and specifically, Luke focuses on us, the central character of this young couple, Joseph and Mary. And gang, I don't think it's too hard for our, our, our imaginations to, to understand or relate that, man, that, that ha you know, sometimes we, we are just subject to what you know, people in authority say that we have to do. And in that, sometimes we can feel like we have no recourse. We just, somebody else says, this is what you have to do, and so go, that's what you have to do. And in that, though, sometimes we can feel powerless, we can feel frustrated. Even sometimes we can feel disappointed. Maybe not what we want it to do. We've talked about this before. 
what our plans would be. And yet, regardless of how you or how they felt about what they were told to do, they still had to go do it. They didn't seem to have a choice in the matter. And, and I found myself in that same place this past week. Actually, I found myself in that place last night at 3 o'clock in the morning. Some of you know we've been praying for my daughter to be able to uh, get back to Japan. Um, long story short, she was able to, Anna let her board the plane, but they gave her a, not a very comforting qualifier. They said, well, we'll let you get on, but it's 50-50 if Japan will let you get in. I'm like, 50-50? Will you flip a coin? Like, how's that going to be decided? You know, we felt like we've done everything that we could to make sure that we're in the parameters and her visa type and all those things. As you guys know, with COVID, a lot of stuff's being shut down. Initially, she was denied. They told her no. But she kind of made this plea and showed the paperwork. And so they said, okay, well, it seems like it. So we have no idea. I just found myself like, all right, Lord, it is in your hands. You know that proverb? Is it Proverbs 21.1? The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and like rivers of water, he can turn it whichever way he wishes. And so I'm just holding on to that this morning. If you think of it, she's supposed to land at 5, and so wherever you may be, you can just make a quick prayer for her that God will give her favor. But ultimately, we, we want to be able to say, hey, whatever God decides, we're going to be okay. But this whole year has felt like that. Just things are out of our control. <laughs> and COVID has been no help to any of that. It's amplified all of these things. And then we're dealing with life with restrictions and ever-changing policies and guidelines and you know what we can and cannot do and where we can and cannot go and who we can and cannot see. Uh, I was talking with... Um, and the baker's this morning, and I'm like, you know, he's like, I'm done. Steve's like, I'm done. I'm like, I, I'm way done. Yeah, I'm with you, <laughs> you know. And just the media doesn't help at all. Just the spin on everything. And, and to be honest with you, I, I found myself just kind of at a place of exhaustion. And so I come to this passage, and the Lord just... Uh, I feel like the message is more for me and you guys get to just come and eavesdrop on a conversation that God had with me this past week. Imagine if you're Joseph and Mary, if you know their story, I mean, after all their drama that they've been through, the circumstances of how she even became pregnant, and then, although the scripture doesn't tell us, we get the idea that, you know, <laughs> People were uh, raising an eyebrow at this young girl who was just betrothed. They, they weren't fully married yet, a little different custom in their day than ours. And yet at the same time, uh, even Joseph, we're told in a previous you know, section where he's like, he was thinking about maybe this isn't, we shouldn't go forward with this, that I need to you know, hide her away somewhere to put her away and the Lord would have to come and minister to him. And so it wasn't ideal. It wasn't how the rest of the families have started. And so whatever that entailed, and then now add to all of that, here comes the government that says, listen, you, uh, we're cutting these orders early for you. You need to go back. And so they had to pack up. She's about to have this baby. 
I imagine at minimum it's just terribly inconvenient to have to go back to their hometown to go and get registered. In my mind's eye, uh, I, I imagine it like the Southern California freeways during the holidays or, you know, Thanksgiving. There's all these donkeys on the road, all these people walking everywhere they're having to go. It's not just them, right? Everybody has to do this. And so there they go. This young gal, pregnant before the wedding ceremony. Again, I'm going to take a little conjecture, perhaps dipping into their savings to have to pay for travel expenses. And I don't think it's a stretch that perhaps emotionally, physically, spiritually drained, tired, exhausted. But as we read this scripture Again, I've read it before. I've watched the Christmas, Charlie Brown Christmas. There's something I think we take for granted, at least I do, and that is I know the end of the story. Right? I have this advantage of knowing what comes next. And if this happens in real time, Joseph and Mary don't. See, we know that God is going to use this to bring them to the exact place where he wants them to be in fulfillment of a prophecy that was given by Isaiah and Micah. And the circumstances that God's going to use all of this to do something amazing and miraculous and beautiful and wonderful. We have the advantage of knowing that. I mean, if this was a movie and we already knew the ending, it'd be one of those things where we're trying to shout at the TV or you know, just at least say, hey, Joseph and Mary, don't freak out. We already, it's going to be good. Hang in there. God's got you. We already know it's going to happen. Can you know the Lord already knows what's going to happen in your life and mine? He, he has this amazing advantage of perspective, of purpose, of a promise that all things work together for good. And so the invitation initially for me, if you're taking notes, is just that God invites us to come to Him and, and we can give Him our worries. In exchange, the Lord then gives us this promise of something wonderful. Both the Old and the New Testament alike use the same phrase, cast your cares upon the Lord. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden to the Lord and God will sustain you. Peter says, cast your care upon the Lord because he cares for you. I, I realize for me, in terms of Becca being able to come or not come, if she can't come, it's, it's not the end of the world. It would be highly disappointing probably more so for her than us, but there's others who are going through much more difficult things. And maybe that's you. I do want to encourage you, though, that part of the message, a very important part of the message of Christmas is not only that we have the greatest gift that God has ever given us in our salvation, But the Lord says, beyond that, you can come with your worries and give those to him. Cast them to them, to the Lord. Leave them before the foot of the cross. In exchange, God gives you this promise, something beautiful and wonderful. 
And maybe this Christmas is difficult for you. But you can know, as you already know, what God did with Joseph and Mary, that God wants to bring something wonderful. Now, we've talked before in Hebrews, it, it may not look exactly like you hoped for, what you're praying for, or the way that you would define that. But it still doesn't invalidate the promise. It still doesn't annul the, the announcement that God is going to do something great that God is going to use this and, and bring blessing in your life. Remember when the angel first comes to Mary? Oh, I'm so sorry, you guys. I, you know, my notes are translated into Japanese, and so this part's not in my notes for Yumi-san, who's translating into Nihongo, so I'm going to go yukuri, all right? I'm going to go a little slowly. The, same, the angel comes to Mary, and when he brings the announcement of what's going to happen to her, he addresses her highly favored. Highly favored. And then he lays out this incredible, you know, he dropped the bomb on her. You're going to have a baby. He's going to be the savior of the world. She's like, ah, I'm a good girl. Justin and I, we've been good. And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, right? Just miraculous. But the beginning statement of that, highly favored. If you, if you follow the life of Mary, there's times where you would question that declaration. The circumstances don't seem to match that descriptor. And we just described one. Highly favored, and yet when she becomes pregnant with Christ, again, though the scripture doesn't implicitly say or give us the detail of it, we understand it, it, it was scandalous in her day. I mean, the thing that we're reading now that she has to go and travel and do all of this while she's pregnant. I mean, we can even fast forward in time when her son's older and Jesus is there being beaten and carrying his cross and she comes to the cross and she sees her son. We wouldn't say, oh, that's highly favored. Sometimes it doesn't look like what we think it will look like but it doesn't invalidate the statement. It doesn't discount the promise that the Lord promises to use these things. Again, maybe you found yourself there where I found myself. And in one way, it's been a good, it's been a good recalibration of my own heart. And that God brings these challenges to our expectations and even maybe routines and and for me, it's rattled me a little bit in a good way from my own self-reliance and, and really just to say, all right, Lord, I, I have to depend upon you. What, what other recourse do I have but to trust you? I do feel like I need to make this very important qualifying point, though. Understand that the birth of Jesus was not just a difficulty, it was an impossibility. I mean, Mary was a virgin, her conception and her birth, all of it was miraculous. God brought life to her womb. She's the recipient of God's grace and God's favor. So there is a parallel, you know, just as the Lord caused Mary to conceive, and of course for us it meant the perfect, sinless Savior, fully God and fully man, who lived then a 
sinless, perfect life for you and for me because we can't and we don't. He gave his life for you and for me. But that God can work that in this gal and accomplish in her his purposes, here's the parallel. God can do the same in you. What seems impossible that God can work in and through your life and your circumstances because you too are a recipient of God's grace and God's favor. The verse that I'm holding on to for for the seasons in Ephesians 2, or Paul says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Another version says, Immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine, according to his power that works in us, and to him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations, forever and ever. Amen. And so here the Lord, if you will, uses these circumstances and just to look at that and say, Lord, we get to bring our worries and give them to you in exchange you give us a promise of something wonderful. Verse 7 tells us what happened. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And this is one of, if not the key verse of this passage, of course, Verse 11 is another one. Verse 14 is another one. But all that to say that God used these circumstances of that decree to direct Joseph and Mary to the exact place where the Bible, where prophets of old had said, out of this place, out of Bethlehem, a Savior will be born. And it was those circumstances, as hard as they might have been, as inconvenient as they inconvenient as they might have uh, seemed, God used it. He directed them to this place. And then just the circumstance in the place of his birth in itself. Again, I think sometimes we can get lost on it because we we have these nativity scenes and we have these things and, and we use them as decoration. But again, the reality is that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Creator of all the universe was born where they kept the animals. I don't imagine it was clean. You know, when my kids were born, all four of them, I was glad that it was in a hospital. And it was clean. And that we had a clean bed. And I was happy when I saw the nurses and the doctors because I didn't know what I, you know, I was going to do it. That's why they get paid the big bucks and you know, the insurance company <laughs> cuts them a check, right? Like, and I was happy when I saw the, the, you know, the, the, the plexiglass rolly cart that they put the kids in. And that for a time they would take the baby away so you know, Christy could get some sleep. Ah, that's great. I love all that. And of course, Jesus was born in different times. And perhaps this type of birth was more common in the culture. Imagine it was, midwives, and you know, they didn't have necessarily have hospitals like we have today, but, but it was still uncommon in this sense. It's uncommon, especially for royalty. Uncommon for those who are in positions of power, those who are in positions of authority and political. You know, children of Royalty and and a position are born in palaces, not in animal pens. 
and certainly not placed in the feeding trough of an animal. There Jesus wrapped with these swaddling cloths and placed into this place where the animals ate. Oh, and by the way, you know, many people believe, and if, uh, I pray the Lord we will be able to go to Israel, back, back to Israel again. But when we've gone there, some of us have gone there, and you go see the feeding troughs, and, it, and a lot of them are made out of stone because there's a lot of rocks in Israel. And so they just used what they had, and they would cune out just these large stones, and that's where they would put the feed. That's where they would put you know, the water, and that's where the animals would eat and drink out of. You know, and all of this imagery, by the way, some of you guys know, right, just it's a foreshadow of not the birth of Christ foreshadows the death of Christ. This whole purpose of coming. That when he died, another Joseph would wrap him in cloths and lie him in a tomb and made out of stone. I've always wanted to do a message called the Easter eggs of the Christmas story. You know, and Easter eggs, like these hidden kind of symbols. Maybe next year. If you come back next year, I think that's the message I'll do. Not only does it point us to what Christ will do, but it also points us just to his, who he is. You know, the, the humility, the meekness of the Lord, the heart of the Lord. He's kingly, yet he came as a commoner. He comes from heaven, but he's in the, he's in the dirt. <laughs> I mean, that's the Lord. Who set aside, if you will, right? The Bible talk, describes how though equal with God, didn't consider it robbery, set aside, and he put on the likeness of man, came as a human, obedient even to the point of death. And yet we read the reason why all that happened is because there's no room for him. There's no room for this young couple. And I don't want to read too much into that because the scriptures don't say, so I have to be careful, but if, if Joseph's going back to his hometown, and you would think then he has some maybe family there, right? Some cousins, some distant relatives. And he shows up and his, his wife is pregnant. And not just like, is she, isn't she? I don't want to say anything because I might, you know, might offend her. No, she's, she's pregnant, you know. In my mind, I'm like, no one could say, you know what, I'll, I'll go sleep with the animals. Why don't you take my spot? Well, my, my good friend, Pastor Santo, he tells this funny story. Um, he's not an older man, but he, you know, he, he's great early. And, uh, and so he let his hair, he was dying his hair for a bit, and he let it just go gray. And he tells a story when he, he's getting on a train in Tokyo. And, and the trains in Tokyo, they have certain seats that are reserved for expecting moms and people who are injured and then also older people. And so when he gets on the train, he's standing there and he tells a story where there's an old guy and he gets on, the old guy stands up and says, you know, <laughs> Santo's like looking around like, me? Yeah. You would think that someone would be like, hey, take my spot. Man, that poor girl, look at her. Again, I don't want to read too much in it, but there's no room for them. It's like their own version of social distancing. And yet what seemed to be restricted 
what seemed to be something that they were denied, they, they weren't afforded. Well, again, God used that. Right? God redeemed that. God anointed that. And gang, I have to confess, I'm so terribly convicted by this study for me. Because I, I have been focused more on what my restrictions have been, what, what I, I haven't been afforded. I've been more focused on what I can't do, where I can't go, what, what's not happening. And I found myself giving into the temptation to complain about it and grumble about it and, and murmur before the Lord, God, why can't this happen? And, and because I've done that, maybe you found yourself in that place too, or if you find yourself in that place today, <laughs> I encourage you as God both encouraged and rebuked me. It's not about things. It's not about my comforts or what I can't have or can't do. I have allowed these things to become distractions. And so the Lord will say, listen, we need to give him our distractions. And God gives us a proper focus. The whole thing narrows down and it's it's about this baby born in this place. And perhaps it's just the classic Christmas message and application. You know, we ought to make room for Jesus. That still preaches, right? We, we don't want to crowd him out by other things, or I would even add this, by the lack of things. By the lack of accommodation. By the lack of permission. By the lack of allowances. we focus in on what's not happening, we will guarantee to miss what God is doing. <laughs> what blessings are there? And again, I confess to you, I found myself in that place. I had to repent. The scene shifts. We're told in verse 8 that now in the same country, and so, if you will, you know, the camera pans and the focus goes away from this place in Bethlehem, that manger where Jesus and Mary and Joseph are, and not too far away, it's still in Bethlehem, and, and just a little ways over what's called the shepherd fields. Oh, one time I got, well, not one time, several times I've been there and I've gotten to teach, and one time when I was teaching, I began to teach, actually this portion, sorry Yumi, you're getting all kinds of curveballs. So I was in Israel, we were a group, I began to teach, and all of a sudden, here comes this little shepherd boy, and I lost everyone. They all got up, started taking pictures. <laughs> I'm like, well, there's my teaching, you know. So even to this day, they still run, um, you know, herds and flocks through there. The angel shows up and declares to them, or excuse me, the glory of the Lord shines all around them, they're greatly afraid. And then the angel says, don't be afraid. Why? Because I've come with good news. Glad tidings of great joy. The scene to me is a little funny, because my mind goes back to the time when I was teaching, I lost everybody. But part of it's curious in that I imagine here are these shepherd dudes. They're doing their job like normal. Right? They've clocked in. They're working the night shift. 
And I imagine it's mundane. It's probably routine. They're just out there. You know, there's the sheep. Ah, bah. And then imagine with me in your mind's eye, out of nowhere, like this UFO, this bright light shows up. And the shock value of that. And what that would mean for them. And of course we read where they, they are afraid. That, that's, a, that's a good response. They're afraid. The glory of the Lord shine like stadium lights. And so they freak out. I imagine their mind's like, what's happening? And the angel engages them as we read and he says, do not be afraid. You know how many times the Bible says do not be afraid or do not fear or fear not, some version of that? I didn't count it, but somebody counted. And if you trust the count, 365 times. I thought, wow, that's convenient. (laughs) Because if it's true, that means there is a verse for us every single day that preaches to us every single day, we don't have to be afraid. Whatever is going on in your life, you don't have to be afraid. In fact, Jesus would say it several times, do not fear. And he'd say usually two things right after that. Only believe or don't fear, for I'm here. Again, Christmas reminds us that we can come to the Lord and we give Him our worries and He he gives us a promise of something wonderful. We give Him our distractions and and He gives us focus on what really matters. And we can give Him our fears. And in exchange, God gives you joy. Joy. And joy, as maybe you've heard before, right? Joy is not the same as happiness. It's in a different category. The message of heaven and the birth of Christ is don't worry, don't be afraid, but trust by faith God is at work and you can experience joy and joy today, independent of circumstance. See, happiness, as the world defines it, I'd say is often tied to things and to circumstance, to events. And it's okay, that's just reality. I came today and I was a little bit down and someone very graciously gave me a, a gift of hot sauce. I immediately got happy. I'm like, thank you. A bottle of hot sauce made me happy. And I imagine that after I'm done with it, I'm going to be unhappy. <laughs> right? but, but if I tied my state of happiness to hot sauce or to anything, and then day after day I need hot sauce, that's not healthy for me, both physically and emotionally, right? And yet we do that sometimes. We we tie our happiness to, to circumstance or things. Well, if this happens, then I'll be happy. See, joy comes along and it is, it sits by itself. Because it's not tied to a thing, it's not tied to an event, it's not tied to a circumstance, it's tied to a person. It's tied to the to the presence of Jesus himself. I don't know about you. I, we can understand that in the natural. You have a, is there somebody in your life that just their very presence is comforting? Or just something about them. When they're around, you're like, ah, I feel at peace. I'm, things are good. Life's going to be okay. 
Right? Just their very presence is a source of joy. Just you know, the light of Christ in them, and they just kind of bring up you know, a great energy. No matter, you know, Alex is like that, so I miss him for that reason. You know. Many of you are like that. I'm so blessed. I think, man, thank you, God, that you guys showed up today. The rest of us would just be down. I mean, take that times, you know, infinity. That, that's the person of Christ. That's the presence of Christ. In fact, the Bible says, in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus says in John 14, these things I've spoken to you so that you may, or that my joy may be full, or joy may be in you, excuse me, and that your joy may be made full. And so often I, I'm holding on to worry and fear and fret, and I found myself doing that <laughs> three o'clock in the morning last night, talking with Becca, praying. And I just had to, Lord, I, God, I got to give this to you. Because the reality is, I haven't been pursuing joy. And I'm convicted by that. And this message is, man, I was like, man, Lord, I feel like you're spanking me in front of everybody. I've been chasing worry. I've been, I've been just, you know, cuddling up with stress and anxiousness. Even when I was praying, Chris, he's like, what's wrong with your face? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm praying. I'm praying like Jesus, drops of blood are going to come, you know. And, and, I, and I've been neglecting. I mean, I know it in my head, I've just been neglecting the, the, the power of the joy of the Lord. Because the Bible even says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so the presence of the Lord is tied to the joy of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord is tied to our strength. You know, I've seen this line, a lot of people are posting it, a meme or just even different churches, and it's a line from, uh, I forget the Christmas carol, but it, the, it's the line, the weary world rejoices. The weary world rejoices. And I read that, and initially I thought, yeah, amen. But there's a part of me that's like, no, I don't, I don't think the weary world rejoices. The weary world wearies. In my weariness, I... I cannot rejoice unless I have Jesus. And in your weariness, listen, we, we cannot really rejoice. We can't experience the real joy. It'll be some fake version of it. That's the world brand. It's temporary. It's shallow. It's, it's a short-lived show. And as soon as the hot sauce is gone, there goes the happiness. The Lord has to be our source of joy. The angel says, don't be afraid. I got good news for you guys. And it's not just for you, it's for everybody. And he makes this amazing, beautiful declaration. Again, verse 11, if not verse 7, another key verse. For there is born to you today, this day, right? The, for you, this is the gift of God to us. Born to you a Savior in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. That's what God gave us. And then there's a sign, 
And, and for the shepherds, you know, as, as it's been said, uh, if you've been in other churches and teachings, you've heard this, right? That, that they get it, something wrapped in a swallowing cloth lying in this manger. This particular sign, this baby that's, you know, unique in who he is, but unique in the circumstances in which they would find him. And then if the angel's declaration wasn't enough, he gets back up. Here comes a choir of them. It's like an angelic flash mob. All of a sudden, here comes the rest of them. There's a whole choir, and they start singing the chorus of heaven. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Thousands of years, hundreds of years before this happened, there were prophets of old who God would give a glimpse of this, a piece of this picture, and they would proclaim this day. They would proclaim this event. Micah was one. Zechariah was one. Isaiah is another. In Isaiah's prophecy of the coming Messiah, in Isaiah 9-6, he describes him that he's going to, his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Ingrained in the birth announcement of the Savior is an announcement of peace. Ingrained in the life of Jesus is an announcement and declaration of peace. Whenever there was turmoil, peace be still. It's announced at his birth. It's announced in his resurrection as the disciples are hiding in the upper room and they're freaked out and he shows up and he says, my paraphrase, hey, chillax, guys. Peace. The storms, the waves. Death on the cross. One of the ways it's described is that he became our peace for us to reconcile that division, that separation between us and God. He himself is our peace. See, Christmas is a season of peace. We celebrate it, we sing about it, and it is also an invitation. It's an invitation that God gives to you and to me to come and experience Although we have turmoil and troubles and conflict and commotion and there's a lot of noise and sometimes it's noise we've invited in our own life. God says, come experience my calm, my peace, my stillness. There is an element and aspect of even this declaration of on earth peace and goodwill towards men. There's an aspect in that it doesn't seem like there's a lot of peace on earth (laughs) or goodwill. It seems it's the opposite, right? There's a lot of hostility and division. This world, it seems to be getting more and more divisive and more and more divided. It doesn't seem to be goodwill. There seems to be ill will. Of course, all of that's just the effect of sin in a person's life. But how do we experience then this? Well, it is for those who've come to know the Lord. Just like joy, as it sits in a place by itself, listen, the peace of God sits in a unique place by itself, and it too is a gift that God wants to give. And yet we cannot experience that until we first have peace with God. 
to come to Jesus first. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. He himself is our peace. And we come into that peace. We have then peace with God. And when you have peace with God, then you can experience the peace of God. A peace, by the way, the Bible says, surpasses your understanding. Transcends circumstance. In fact, Jesus even says, the peace that I give to you, it's not like the world. It's not the brand that the world gives to you. It is a peace that comes from me. And so don't let your hearts be troubled nor be afraid. And so in a very similar way where the Lord says, bring your worries, I'm going to give you the promise of something wonderful. Bring all your distractions, all the things that are causing you, you know, to think like me, like what's not going on. The Lord will say, listen, focus in on this. The fears that we might have of what's next. Oh, this is, sorry, you mean there's no third service. I'm going to keep going off notes. <laughs> you know, another thing I, I found myself convicted on. I found myself convicted in that I. Well, I can preach, and I know, and we've talked about the hope that we have in the Lord. There's been a part of me that's been afraid to hold on to hope. Like I don't want it because I'm afraid to be disappointed. And so I'd rather not even have it. And man, the Lord just rocked me. God wants us to bring, if I can say it this way, our junk, our, our, the, you know, the stuff that nobody else wants. And the Lord says, no, I bring it to me your troubles and your fears and your doubts and <laughs> the commotion in your life. And guess what? You don't even have to wrap it. Just bring it. And, and in exchange, God gives you and gives me his peace. What a crazy gift exchange. I, I pray that, that we'd receive that. I pray that you'd receive that. We read, so it was, then when the angels left, they, they sang their song, and they did their thing, and they gave their message. They go back into heaven, and then the shepherds are left there, and they're like, all right, what are we going to do now? And notice what they heard and what they saw. They're like, we can't just sit on this. They, they're like, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go see this thing. And they didn't waste time. It says they made haste. And they made widely known what you know, happened. And so they came and they found, verse 16, Mary and Joseph, and guess what? They found baby Jesus just like the angels said it was going to be. They had this amazing uh, declaration. They have this experience. And they're moved by that. And they go and share that with everybody. But notice there's a different response that Mary has. And we'll, we'll close with this. It says that when Mary, all this happened, it says that he, she pondered it in her heart. This kind of deep processing of what, of what God was doing. And the shepherds, kind of on contrast, they're outwardly exuberant. They leave praising God, rejoicing. They're glorifying the Lord. They're high-fiving each other. 
What a great day at work they had. And the shepherds have this very distinct honor of not only being invited, but they're the first visitors that get to come and see baby Jesus, the newborn king, the savior of the world. Who's on that invitation list? Who gets to the top billing? Shepherds. We don't even know their names. You know, this last season, we've had a number of babies born, and it's been a lot of fun. Our church is growing. You guys are healthy. It's awesome. <laughs> Be fruitful and multiply. And when these babies have been born, I, because of my role and my privilege as pastor, I, I, I usually get the news of it a little quicker than the rest. You know, I, and so I get to rejoice. You know, it's like family, close friends, and then Pastor Rick. Yes. But man, it would not be good for me then to be like, hey, Facebook world, guess what? Right? I don't dare take that away from their you know, desire to share their news on their terms and who they want. Nor would, I, uh, would it be weird for me to be like, hey, how come you didn't call me first? You called your parents. <laughs> like, who am I to you? you know, that'd be weird, right? And yet, God gives the announcement and then says, you can make it Facebook official, to the shepherds. The shepherds. Not the priests, not the scribes, not the Pharisees, not King Herod. It's these shepherds. Blue collar, normal, although they, you know, they're respected in society, but because of their job, they're not allowed into the, the temple area. They have a dirty job. They're often working with blood and dirt and things that are, you know, killed. And, and yet God gave them a personal invitation to be the first one to come and see. That's a great parallel there for us. That invitation is extended to all of us, regardless of who you are. Regardless of your background, regardless of the language you speak, the passport you hold, your job, your position in society, God doesn't care about those things. He just wants you to come and behold the Savior. Things that you've heard that you would then receive, that you would experience. And part of it is this great exchange. Our old life for God's new life. Our brokenness, our darkness, whatever defined us in the past, we come to Christ, and the Bible says, it's all gone. You and I are a new creation. And so the shepherds remind us that you and I can come as we are. Whatever place or station in life that you are, and God then defines and gives you purpose and meaning and hope. And you may respond differently to that. And it's okay. For Mary, she just sat on it. She soaked in it. She pondered deeply in her heart what the birth of Christ meant. And that's a good response this Christmas. In the, in the flurry of activity, to take some time this week and just ponder, what does it mean for you that Christ came for you? What God's called you to and who you are in the eyes of the Lord.
And it's absolutely appropriate to have the same response the shepherds did. Go have fun. Go celebrate. Go chase joy. Pursue it. Glorify God and worship the Lord. Because He exchanges our worries, our fears, our distractions, our hopelessness, our brokenness. And He says, give it to me and I'll give you life. I'll give you purpose. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I, I feel like um, so much of what this message is is really just for me. But Lord, if there's anybody who here would have just be in the similar spot that I am, I, I pray that we receive what you're saying, that it would be more than just an intellectual exercise or an interesting sermon or talk. But Lord, I, I pray that these things would become um, woven into the fabric of our very being that not only did you give us the greatest gift that we could ever receive, salvation in Christ, but grace upon grace and your gift upon gift, you, you invite us to constantly come to cast our cares to you, to be anxious for nothing, but in everything with thanksgiving, we make our requests known to you, Lord. In exchange, you give us a peace that surpasses understanding. Lord, our fears and our doubts and our worries, Lord, we can give to you. In exchange, Lord, you give us hope, purpose, promises of good things. Lord, your very presence. God, forgive us for, forgive me, Lord, for being focused on what can't happen, what's not going on. And Lord, that I wouldn't get sidetracked in that. I wouldn't get sucked into self-pity, but Lord, that we would lift our eyes to see, Lord, that you are good and you're gracious. And Lord, we have Jesus. And if we have Jesus, we have everything. And so I pray that these things, Lord, would be things we carry today and apply today and tomorrow and this whole week to come. Lord, be glorified in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, love you guys. Have a great day.